Rachel Viegas. That's me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks the first me. female on the podcast. We just realized that. You and I have been talking about doing a podcast for a while, yeah. and I said when you got 90 Days of Sobriety, we would do it. And That's here we today. are on your fucking 90 days. Hell yeah. Proud of you. So I want to talk about a couple things. So obviously today's episode is going to be about sobriety, taking risks. Mm -hmm. You have a background in psychology. You actually have a degree in psychology, mm -hmm. which... Um, funny enough actually really helps you out in your role here at one of my companies yeah, um totally but uh yeah so so let's talk about one thing i'm really passionate about that you know is people leveling up in their life mm -hmm. right going from one stage to another so you worked at phil's barbecue a popular barbecue uh chain here in the san diego area mm -hmm, if you've ever mm -hmm. been to the san diego airport you've probably eaten at Bill, phil's barbecue uh, you left your job at Phil's and you kind of took a risk to come over and work for one of my companies. So tell me a little bit about what that was like to take that leap because I'm super passionate about people leaving situations that are either not growing and Safe. keeping them stagnant or mm -hmm. yeah, that too. Like, so what was it like before? And then kind of talk through that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I had worked in restaurants pretty much from when I started working. I started at like Rubio's and then went to Hostess and just went with that because it's nice you can still make your tips kind of make a little bit more than like an average whatever so that was what I was always used to I did that all throughout college that was my main college gig and then I was actually working there and COVID happened at that point I had I was a busser at first and then I was a lead busser and then they moved me to catering which was which was a big deal that was it was a really small team I was super stoked to get that catering position and I loved that and then freaking COVID happened yep and I was a caterer for large groups of people. Therefore, my job was Not obsolete. Yeah. I was out of a job for a long time. Um, so pretty much to the end, that entire time, I was I was just being a mom. So it actually, I mean, COVID was a terrible disaster for a, a lot of the world. But yeah, it kind of came out a great time for me. I had my kid. Ray was born September of mm. that year of 2020. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess. That yeah. Wow. Time flies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I was pregnant that whole, like, what do we shut down in, like, May or April, something like that. Yeah. So I was pregnant during that time. I got to just chill during my pregnancy, and then that whole first... Collect some unemployment? Yeah, I was one of those people, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> well, you're all, you're an actual hard worker, so yeah. I, don't, I don't blame you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it really, like, my job was... I couldn't go back to my job. I, I didn't have a job. It wasn't yeah, that I was, like... You weren't taking advantage. I know right, that. yeah. So, so Ray was born in September. I got to have that whole first year off with my baby which was amazing yeah. like it was a next level experience I don't think really anybody gets to have especially being I mean here in San Diego like that does not happen like you have to work you go back to work a few months in which yeah I honestly I mean I want to have another kid eventually and that is just crazy to think like having a newborn you have to go back but whatever so I got that opportunity was amazing I got to stay home with her really be a super present mom for about a year her birthday is September 25th and I think I started here early <clears throat> November maybe late November of 2020 Around my birthday, actually yeah 2021 so I was able yep. to kind of do that year um I started interviewing for different positions kind of looking around once I got the idea that my COVID unemployment checks yeah. are going to be no like, more. I, I got to get back like, to work. damn it. I got to yeah. get a job. So I started looking. There was one position or company that I was interviewing with. It was like some recruiting company. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I got a degree in psychology is my 
is my degree. And then, I mean, I was super passionate about it. I loved it. I think it got me through college. So like, I'm, I'm grateful that I switched to it, but I mean, I looked up positions in psychology and I was like, mm, mm, yeah, like you're doing God's work right there for as much as a McDonald's manager. Like yeah. this is ridiculous. So yeah. um, I started looking just kind of around like marketing, sales, recruiting, I thought would be cool because you can make someone of a kind of a commission off of that. Yeah. I was on my seventh interview with this company. I like went into the seventh office. Seventh interview with one company? Yes, with the same huge, company. Like a big company? I don't know. I don't even think seven, that they were the that. Fuck seven I know. That's why I was like, oh, like I'm in. Like I was yeah. so confident. Like I got the job. Like I've had so many. And they were like little interviews with like I think I had an interview with all of the like top people at the yeah. company. So it's kind of cool they do that though. That way everybody kind of gets to, you know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, and they were short. Like they were, most of them were on Zoom, whatever. So we just kind of met shot the shit for a little bit and then I moved on yep. um, to the next person. So I kept getting to the next person and I, to me, I think to them it was just like the process, but to me I was like, yeah. oh yeah, like I'm getting so many interviews, they like me, whatever. So they asked me to come in for a half day. And I, at that point I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I have this job. So I go in for the half day, I meet the whole like little team there and I was super confident, like I got the job. And then I got, I think it was an email. They just emailed me and basically said like, we went with somebody else damn dude i was devastated yeah i had i i had a few other companies that i was talking to that i stopped talking to yeah, all of them you thought you had it in the bag yeah like but isn't it funny how you think you have this like for right now like i'm in escrow on a house and it may not work out right there's a whole mm -hmm. lien against the house and the family's suing probate drama mm -hmm. but you know something else, i just know that something else better is on the way like if it doesn't work out it wasn't meant to work out so yeah. you ended up landing here yep and what did that feel like when you i mean you heard from lauren lauren was making really good money mm -hmm. and then you got a shot to come work here what was that like to take the leap from phil's barbecue i mean i know you had the unemployment stuff but to mm -hmm. something completely new like sales was completely new to you right so yeah, that was scary. <clears throat> I think it was, I mean, I don't know though, because for me, I like talking to people. Yep. I, Lauren said that it was like really not that bad. It was kind of cool. I got to work with my best friend. Yep. So I didn't get that job. And then she's like, oh, perfect. Like a new position. Literally a week later, like yeah. you said, like this door opened up and I was like, hell yeah, I want to work with you again. Like we met at Phil's working together. Yep. So um, I don't know. I think I came into it with with like a good attitude i'm like cool like lauren can do this like i can i can do this like this is gonna be fun like we're working together and i was excited um it was a little bit scary though because this we like we were pretty small back then yeah you know yeah. like i was what one of like three employees in cherry like overseas like maybe yeah, a couple I mean, we, I mean we had a couple other front-end people so i think we we're with True. me nathan everybody we're up to closer to 10 but um or maybe like eight people but mm -hmm. definitely not as big as we are now yeah yeah, so that was, I think that was really the only, the only big worry that I had, like, oh, whatever, like, I might have this job for a little bit, I'll get some good experience. Yeah. Um, and then being in a sales position, I was like, cool, this will be a great first start to anything that I want to do, whether yeah. it be in this sales position forever or with anything. And I'm grateful for that too. Like just having a freaking, well, we did like, we do eight Zoom calls a day, back to back Dude. to back to back to back. Insanely draining for the average person. Yeah. And the fact that like, I can't do that. Not, not, not every single day. You know, I, 
I don't want to do that, you yeah. know, and I did that. I did that for years when mm -hmm. I was building the business. But, you know, I mean, and I watched you. One thing I'll give you a ton of credit for is I watched you go through some of the hardest days. Like you just dealt with challenge after challenge after challenge, mm -hmm. some awful customers like, you know, um, and you push through every single day. You were here early. You were here late, like every mm -hmm. day putting in the work grinding until the end and doing everything you could to to make things work you know yeah and uh yeah it's um and when somebody does that like there's always a job here for them you know what i mean if you're honest if you're you're loyal to the company and you're doing your part and you're also like putting in the work and mm -hmm. not just um letting certain situations you know take you over then mm -hmm. uh yeah so i would say that you're extremely resilient and you know we're happy to have you as a you know somebody working with us thanks kid yeah, I was rough and I tried really fucking hard because it's good money. It's such good money. And when I had those good days, I was like, yes, like I got this, like I can do this. I know I could, but I really think I got in my own way with that position. Yeah. So, so for those of you that are listening, Rachel came in in a sales role. So she was a sales contractor doing, um, you know, basically onboarding and mm -hmm. so she'd onboard people. And then at the end you sell them on a bigger package if they're a good fit. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really tough for the average person to get somebody to sign up for something that's expensive. And I think that there was a lot of challenges where you feel a certain type of way about selling. Mm -hmm. And when I realized, you know, okay, you're here every day. You work hard as fuck. You don't use excuses. You're, you're, you're literally like an absolute all-star. And the fact that you're doing that and you maybe the sales role is too pressure like there's a lot of pressure for you and you're a mom so mm -hmm. you know you got a lot going on you know i said hey you know i don't want to fire her because sales are inconsistent i'm going to move her to a to a customer service role mm -hmm. which is sales on its own because you're dealing with people who are now mm. upset and not doing their part most yep. of the time and you know that's a whole nother thing but um, and you absolutely excel in that role because, you know, with the psychology background also, you're actually using that every single day. Like you can totally. tell where somebody is and you know that a lot of customers that are complaining typically in our business have not called their leads, mm -hmm. have not done their part. And I'm not saying we're perfect. We've messed up a number of times, but yeah. like any company, but, uh, you're able to, to get them to see that right so which is really really hard for a lot of people to do and um i think i'm pretty good at it but the average person can't deal with that because you're dealing with upset people like you're not dealing with happy customers because they're closing deals making money you yeah. know yeah and i do I, sometimes i have those or i mean especially recently i've been with all of the new stuff that we've been doing which is exciting and that's it's yeah. really cool stuff and it's honestly i mean we talked about this too. It's like if you come in and you have a good attitude and you want to make it work and you're, you know, you you ask for advice from somebody who's been doing this way longer than you have, even though I'm obviously not very old. I don't look like I would, would be, but people come in and, and those are the people that I want to work with and those are the people that we help and go above and beyond for. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, uh, one of my companies is called localrealestateleads.net and we sell... Uh, a software that's a CRM software. Mm -hmm. So it helps you communicate with leads and we only sell to real estate agents. That's our audience. Mm -hmm. So Rachel is dealing with people that signed up for software and lead generation. And if you're a real estate agent and you're looking for people to buy or sell a house, 
uh, you know, you need people that want to buy or sell a house to buy or sell houses mm -hmm, for somebody. Mm -hmm. So we offer a software that helps with that, but also we offer leads that can, you know, people that are raising their hands to either buy or sell. So the biggest problem that we have in this business is people will sign up for this product service and they immediately just think it's all going to be done for them. Even though we tell them countless times that it takes follow-up, it takes hard work, like mm -hmm. patience. we can get somebody, yeah, patience. We can get somebody to raise their hand and say that they're interested, but guess what? Nobody's just going to jump to do the biggest financial transaction of their life when they only know your name. Mm -hmm. Like people just, they just imagine that, oh, it's just, we're going to get these people that want to sign up with us. It doesn't matter. We will give you the hottest lead in the world. Somebody yeah. who's ready to go, but if they don't trust you, they're never doing business with you. So or know you, yeah, know you like you trust you. But yeah. so the biggest problem in our business is people signing up. And then just, even though we've been very, very clear with what to expect, uh, they don't do their part. And mm -hmm. when you look at the numbers of real estate agents that are not successful in the business in general, comes out to be about the same amount that complains. So it makes sense. Yeah, um, totally. And again, we've made mistakes. Our software, you know, has not worked at times. And, uh, you know, th there's been times where we've messed up. Any business has. But a majority of the time, Rachel's job is dealing with upset clients who completely think that they're in the right, even though we have every reason to show them why they're not. But it doesn't matter because people will believe their own story. Mm -hmm. And that's it, you know. So... Uh, for you to be in a position like that, you handle it really well and you're good at like not because people will yell and scream at you. And I mean, I, I've seen some disgusting uh, people. We have thousands of customers. So yeah. most of our customers are happy, but the very small few make a very large amount of the noise. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so let's talk a little bit about sobriety. Um, your today's your 90 days of sobriety. Um you know, you've tried to get sober before in the past. You know that I've been sober for over seven mm -hmm. years. So what's your, I mean, let's talk sobriety. Yeah. So I think it kind of, I feel like going all the way back to why I even am the way I am. I mean, there's definitely like, you want to talk psychology, like nature versus nurture. Like I definitely have that piece. It runs in my family. My dad, I mean, he's gone from being an alcoholic. Like he died yeah. when he was of a heart attack when he was 50 years old, 51. Yep. So that ran in my family. Um, a lot of other people, like it, it's, it's there. Um, so I grew up with it. My mom was very open about it. We used to watch like intervention. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's like, good. I mean, at least you know, right? This is what can happen. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. do drugs. Like, <laughs> So obviously didn't take anything from that, that watching intervention. So I, I was also really sheltered though as a kid because I think my mom went the opposite direction of like yes I'm going to teach you about it but like you can't go to parties and you can't do this and you can't do that and then she, I didn't have that trust to be able to talk to her about what was going on mm -hmm. so I just kind of had to do I mean teenagers we're going to do whatever we want right when we're a teenager like especially no when somebody tells us not to do something we're like right hmm why not probably feels Let good let's do yeah. it yeah so and I mean, all the issues from like my parents getting divorced when I was a kid, like we could go all, that's a whole mess. Yeah. So, uh, but I was out there experimenting on my own, not really having anybody to talk to. And then I turned 18, graduated high school, chopped my hair off again, back then too, I was super long, chopped it off. Like I'm a new person, I'm moving out. I moved in with my, my dad's mom, my grandma, who was distracted with my, my grandpa at the time. And I just went crazy. 
like partying partying mm-hmm. and then i found so i went to college i went to sdsu i i mean i did okay but i definitely failed at least a class or two because yeah. during that time i'm just i'm just partying yep. every as, as many times as i could throughout the week yeah and then i found raving oh yeah which is a whole nother level yeah i found raving and doing all of the Drugs party and, things yeah, that yeah. go along with that and i just spun down that rabbit hole now spinning down that rabbit hole do you think that this came from, you talked about nature versus nurture but do mm-hmm. you think that this came from suppressed trauma from being younger do you think it came from what like where, where why do you think you what causes somebody to spiral downwards because i did this i mean was it lack of hope like where did mm. it come from honestly for me it was i mean it was a combination of having the whatever biological component and that's absolutely a thing there's been tons of studies on it yeah um but then also i don't know like having the be, wanting to be a rebel and do whatever i wanted and prove that i think for me too it was also like proving that like i'm not like my dad like i'm not going to be like that and just having that like superiority complex or whatever it was like i i can do whatever i want i'm superwoman i can be on top of the world and nothing bad is going to happen to me yeah well you feel invincible when you're young too you yeah. don't think that until you have a couple friends die you know you don't think that it's going to happen to you and then you're like oh shit yeah 100 yeah. percent. so i i was doing whatever the hell i wanted um started going downhill and thinking that i was like like this was my whole identity i was like a rave girl yeah and then I started like getting into selling all of those things and having boyfriends who sold all of the things. And that was where, that was like my rock bottom the first time Yeah, was when I was living with one of my boyfriends and his house got raided and I was there and mm-hmm. I got wrapped up into all of that. Yeah, And that was when I had my first experience being sober. But I mean, why I did it, I think it was really to prove that like I'm better than that and I'm not. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic and I don't have to be. And that's a slippery slope. Most people (laughs) fall into. Now you said something that I think really, I want to point out, which is identity. That Mm -hmm. was your identity. Do you think that you were searching for an identity growing up? Like you didn't have, yeah, I, I think identity crisis is something that, and I mean, with the psychology background, you can run laps around me with this, but I think that, um, one thing that I've dealt with my whole life is identity stuff. Like mm-hmm. ever since I was a little kid, part of it was we moved around a lot, mm. right? I mean, Boston, Wisconsin, Montana, Alaska, yeah. Oregon. And then I moved around a lot, you know, on my own, you know, it's really hard to nail down an identity on like, this is who I am when you're not really tied to one place or yeah. one group or whatever. Like, you know, people always ask me, where are you from? And I always say Boston. Cause that's the only like consistent place in my life. Like, Every summer was there, lived there on and off my whole life. But, you know, really, it's like it's it's hard to answer. And growing up, I really felt like I had to tie into some sort of um, group group or, you know, something. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when I was younger, I gravitated towards like, you know, crime and mm. and drug dealers and gang members. And I thought that was cool. And then as I got older, it became like military police uh, you know, um, business. And, and one thing that I realized is I had this identity. Yeah. Well, when I got sober, you know, definitely, uh, uh, and that's another thing too, is, is your identity becomes like, oh, I'm this 
beer connoisseur no you're an alcoholic yeah you know like no i just really love whiskey i just love it so much you know but no it's like call it what it is but the identity crisis i think is something because people want to belong mm -hmm. people want to feel at the end of the day it comes down to i think they want to feel unconditional love and they want to feel like they belong and yeah. most people don't feel like they belong yeah so yeah and i grew up forced at the time i was forced to go to church forced to do all of the things and that was not who that was not who i felt that i was so then i graduated high school and had no idea who i was right and then i found raving and was like unconditional love and all of these people and you go to raves and it's like oh because everybody's on molly yeah of course <laughs> they love each other exactly <laughs> try so, try the next day when all their endorphins are completely blown out and they're in the worst depression ever yeah yeah, yeah. so that yeah, it gave me something to connect to, like a group to be with. And I I repped it hard. I had all the gear and I wore all my mm -hmm. whatever. Like, Well, one thing that you've mentioned to me, too, is when you first tried to get sober, like before, when mm -hmm. you were sober for a long time, as you said, you drank the Kool-Aid and then you became all in there. Yeah. So 100%. that was your tribe. That was your. And, and look, I think now like your belonging is here in this company. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, I mean, we have a good like company uh culture culture totally. and core values and we all kind of look out for each other and we're we're all really close here yeah and even with donald's company being upstairs and donald used to work here mm -hmm. you know we're all kind of intermingle and we've got our own uh thing going on which is really cool yeah. um but yeah i think that there's a lot of that like belonging and needing yeah. to uh find that bigger picture yeah and figuring out and that that's uh, that's a really good point because it was raving and then i had had to get sober and yeah. I was in that like what 18 I think it was an 18 month program <clears throat> where I'm I'm going to jail if I if you don't if I yeah. don't test if I test positive my ass is going to jail and I'm not getting whatever charge I wanted to get off my record yep. taken off and that was a huge I was like oh hell no like I this is that is not me I don't I I don't know what is me but that's not me and I cannot have that like yeah that's not okay. Like, that's not what I want in my life. And I think those values were there. Yeah. They were there and I knew. So I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I did all the things. I went to the meetings. I think I got to like step four with a sponsor. Like I was doing it and I graduated that program, stopped going to meetings, stopped talking to those people. I mean, I was 20, 20 when I first got sober. Yeah. To and 21 and a half. I'm 26. 26. Okay. Yeah. So about 21 and a half ish, almost 22 probably. I graduated that program. Yeah. For a while I stayed sober, but then it was like, oh, I want to go to a bar. Like I literally never experienced any of that. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, you were forced to grow up, you know? Yeah. And um, COVID also took a lot of time away from people. Like I feel like the last four years went by so fast. Yeah. Like, holy crap. You know, uh, by the way, guys, if you guys uh, haven't noticed, we've got one of my rescue dogs, Bullwinkle, in the house, and he's Pinky. kind of. Uh, come here, buddy. Here. Oh, come here. Oh, oh no, little oh. track on. Winky All boy. All right, Bullwinkle, welcome to the show. <laughs> he's so sweet. Bullwinkle's in the office with us pretty much every day. Office and, uh Yeah, he's uh, he has not eaten yet today, so he's walking around. Uh, <laughs> so if you guys see uh, him walking around, that's why. He the go boy. Um, um, um right, yeah, back, so I had never gone, show. never gone to a bar, never gone to an actual like club. So yeah. whatever, I had to do my experimenting and it was totally cool at first, like going out with my friends on the weekend, a couple times a month, really. It only started every other weekend. Yep. I thought I was good. And that's, 
it's, I mean, all of the stupid cliches, which are not stupid because they totally are a thing, like 100%. Like I, and I started with NA, and they say alcohol is a drug, blah, 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 blah. And, that and was, you trick yourself, right, yeah. into, into thinking it's not. Like I used to think that weed wasn't a drug. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather all of my friends smoke weed than drink alcohol because, you know, you're probably not going to beat your wife where maybe if you're drinking alcohol, you would. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go out. And if you do, for some reason, get behind the wheel of a car, not saying it's a okay idea, but you're probably going to be driving uh, 10 miles, miles an hour <laughs> under the speed limit yeah. rather than, you know. 40 on the freeway. <laughs> yeah, rather than going 80 through a school zone or something. Yeah. And I, I just think that marijuana's got its own problems, but it really just dampers everything where mm -hmm. alcohol is just, it brings out, in, in some rare cases, the best in people, and in most cases, the worst. Yeah. And one thing that I heard when, it's funny, because I got an underage drinking ticket when I was like 17, and maybe I was 18 at the time, but under 21 for sure. And I had to go, in order to get my license back, because uh, where I live, they suspend your license for six months mm -hmm. once you get your second one, I think. And I had to go to this, like, you know, court-mandated mm -hmm. class. And I just, I went there and like you said, like, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not these people. Like there yep. are people in there for, you know, that had gotten busted selling heroin and there were people that were like way worse than I ever got. Yeah. But uh, they all had the same problem just on a different scale. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is what young people do. We just get fucked up and party. And that's what we're fed by movies and pop mm -hmm. culture and stuff that, that when you're in high school and college, you party, you get belligerent, you do stupid, stupid things. Shit. Yeah. And, um it's just, I thought that that was my identity, mm -hmm. right? So I dealt with the same thing. And anyways, in this, in this class that I had to go to, this uh, teacher or whatever you want to call him um, had said something that always stuck with me, which was, you know, alcohol and drugs and everything, it always starts out like all fun, right? Mm -hmm. Like the first time you drink, it's like, woo, like no problems, nothing. And then it becomes... A little problematic but still mostly fun like let yeah. it rip you know and then it becomes like 50 50 like you start getting into fights and you start losing money or spending money or you start doing you know you get a dui or whatever right and then it all of a sudden when you look like fast forward it's like you're having health issues you're having mm -hmm. mental health issues mm -hmm. you're depressed you're in jail you have fines that you owe you're yeah. spending all sorts of money and it's almost all problems and no fun. And mm -hmm. when I got sober, that's how I felt. I was like, okay, let's look at <laughs> what's going on here. Like this is not adding up to the life that I want. Mm -hmm. So I've got to make a change. And I feel like you have actually found that pivot. Like you realize like how many times do I have to do the same thing over again with the same result? It's not going to change. It's just going to get worse. Yeah. You know? So yeah. 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 That was, I was out there, out there. <clears throat> from probably 21 to 23-ish with it just steadily getting worse and worse and worse. Yep. And then it was, yeah, it was every day. It was always needing t something to be okay. And I remember like thinking like, how how is it even possible? Like I literally take or drink something mm -hmm. to do anything, to be okay in yeah. life. Like how am I supposed to, like how am I supposed to live sober? Like it's just seemed absolutely impossible. And it, I mean, it breaks you down. You do shit that you're not proud of, that you, that suck. You have that shame and that guilt and everything that goes along with it. And I could feel everything that I had built working with this company and, you know, getting married, having my daughter who's three now, three, almost three and a half. Like me and my husband bought a house. Like yep. I have this beautiful life 
that I literally don't give a shit about. And all I'm doing is like all of this BS being super selfish, but not knowing like what to do and how to get, actually I did know. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what they say, like head full of recovery, belly full of booze type of uh, thing. Yeah. And that was totally me. I was like, I, this is, this is not it. Like I, I am an alcoholic. This is terrible. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore, but I had no idea how to get out of it without, I knew I was like, if I, if I'm going to get out of it, I have to go to, I have to go somewhere. I have to do something. Yep. Cause I can't just stop on my own. Yeah. And you also have to fill that void with something else. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're, you're trying to fill, you're trying to cover something up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to feel something or not feel something. Yeah. And you know, for me, I realized that alcohol, um, I think it was a way for me to feel connected with people that I wasn't really that connected with. Mm -hmm. Like the people that I drank with before I got sober, I thought were my best friends and nine out of 10 of them were gone after I stopped drinking. Right. Yep. There's a few that were ride or die real loyal people. Uh, and a couple of them are actually sober today too. So it's just funny how, how that works out. But we, we're just, when we're drinking and when we're in an addictive cycle, we're so, disconnected with reality and we're just lying to ourselves every single day like yep you know like i said it's a it's a slippery slope um especially after you have some time being sober yeah because you know you, you're like okay well you, or you think you you know but deep down you're like i can have a drink it's yeah. been this long i can have it and no you unless you want to go back to what you were doing before mm -hmm. you know yeah and that's where i think i was I was like, oh, well, I'm a different person now. Like, I'm, I'm not this, like, raver kid. Like, I'm just going out to, like, socially drink with my friends, and it's totally fine. I'm going to be totally fine. But I cannot, I cannot drink like a normal person. And like you said, sometimes it was fun. Sometimes I wouldn't get blacked out. Sometimes I, you know, at first it was just, like, for parties or doing whatever, and then it was every single day because I had to to feel okay. Yeah. And once I got to that point, like, I don't, I think I was really only there, I mean, thank God for, like, maybe six months yeah but I had no idea how to get out of it and I did some things I wasn't proud of I ended up in the hospital mm -hmm. and that's how that was my that was my like rock bottom that was my wake-up call and it absolutely could have been worse well you called me Carlos and I were in New York City and you called me from I don't know if you want to go into that it's but fine. but you called me and you were fucking I mean you called me not to tell me because you were supposed to be at work and now you're here like mm -hmm. we knew what was up we had your back, mm -hmm. but you called me and what did I tell you? You, you said something. What did I tell you? I said, I don't want to hear it. You're mm. complaining to me. Get sober. Mm. It's your only option. That's, honestly, I, I know Carlos remember. was sitting next to me and he was kind of looking at me like, dude, you're being a dick, but you needed to hear mm. it. Like, I honestly don't even remember that phone call. You were probably still, was that the first know? time? I think it was the first, cause there were, there were two times I went to the hospital. Yeah. I, cause you had missed work and then you were there and, and you yeah. didn't have your phone for some time. And mm -hmm. when we talked, you're basically like, you know, venting to me and letting me know what happened. And I was like, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. keep hearing these kind of things and it's only going to get worse. So like yeah. make your call, make your decision. If you're mm -hmm. going to get sober, you have to stick to it, but I'm not going to sit here and pity you and you did this to yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have this beautiful life and we typically, when we get into a position that we don't deep down believe that we deserve, we mm. self-sabotage. So mm -hmm. people will get a new job. Like I, I have a friend right now who's one of my favorite people in the world. He has a problem with alcohol and he knows it, but he continues to drink and he got a really good job. He was doing really well. And then he just fucked it all up because deep down he didn't believe. Do you think that that 
somewhere along the line caused you to go a little hard with alcohol like you know you shouldn't do it you know what's going to happen you know what the outcome is but you still do it it's almost like yeah it's almost like you want it you know yeah i don't know maybe it was i i think even the second time drinking it was like to prove like i'm that's not me like i'm fine like i'm not an alcoholic like i can drink like a normal person like it's fine yeah so that was always I think that was always what it was for me. And then probably self-sabotage. I don't know. But because I, I feel like that is not Bullwinkle, come here. that's not something that, you know, like that's just something that happens subconsciously. Like, yeah. And how it all happened is weird. Like I, I manifested having a kid at 23. Like I always said in high school, I'm gonna have a kid at 23. I wanted to buy a house. I had all of these big goals and I fucking made it happen. Yeah. And then I felt it all slipping through my fingers. Mm hmm. But I think everything that happened to me in the past, which like everything happens for a reason type of thing. Yeah. Um, Make sure you're talking directly into that. Audio is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, everything happens for a reason. It all led me up to this point where I got, I went in the hospital that first time. Yep. And I didn't have a weird thing that happened. I didn't have insurance at the time, so they really couldn't offer me anything. Crazy. So they, yes. Fucking it, crazy times that we live in. I can't imagine. It's ridiculous. So they sent me home with like some papers. Yeah so dumb back there like a month later with insurance now and they're yeah. like hey here's this program you should go and get this oh the freaking guy that comes in he had a mask on but i could tell one of my counselors from my first program <laughs> crazy right isn't it weird how the universe just puts these situations like to kind of be like nudge you in the right direction like hello and yeah. i remember praying because i'm i'm i definitely have that I'm, I'm religious i would say yeah so I remember praying like that light just went down like please like help mm -hmm. me like please help me God help me I can't do this like I don't know what to do right you like I know what to do I didn't I didn't know what to do like I can't stop please help me mm -hmm. and my stubborn ass took me being in the hospital twice the yeah. second time like don't you get it yeah like don't you understand and I did that second time and there was there was something I was like, you know what? Like, this is it. If I if I don't take this, yeah. like this this is it right here. This is what I've prayed for. Yeah. Holy booty. This is what I've been praying for. Like, this is the sign. It reminds me of that quote from uh, I think Will Smith's kid in uh, Pursuit of Happiness says this joke where he's like, "There's a man who uh, you know gets into like a boat crash in the middle of the ocean mm -hmm. and he starts praying saying god please help me please save me oh yeah yeah, yeah. and a, a guy comes by on a boat and says hey do you need help and he goes no it's okay uh god will save me and then somebody in a helicopter comes by and goes are you okay you need help mm -hmm. and he goes it's okay god's gonna help me and then uh he drowns and dies goes and meets heaven and he says god why didn't you save me he goes i sent you a bunch of help i yeah, sent, I you, sent a you a boat, boat I and a helicopter, helicopter. <laughs> You know, and I feel like in yeah. sobriety, when we, you know, it's like I didn't, I was an atheist growing up mm. and I did not believe in God. I didn't, I hated religion. I still don't like a lot of organized religion mm -hmm. because I think it, it is very manipulative and, and dark. But when I first, before I got sober, it was like God was pushing me and nudging me and giving me these, you know, okay the lesson's going to get harder and harder each time until yeah. you learn. And if you don't learn, you're going to fucking die. Yep. And it took me to get into a really dark place. And, and luckily I, I, I saw the formula and went, okay, I don't want to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. But you know, when, when I was at my darkest, you know, I love that quote of there's no atheist in a foxhole because 
when I was at my darkest, I literally prayed out loud to God, God that I didn't even believe in. Mm. But it was this panic of like, I need help. And, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and I can't explain to you what this was, but something bigger than myself completely opened up a world of possibilities. And maybe it's just that you start seeing things different, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe these possibilities were there all along. I don't know. I would like to think that there is a God out there that, that when called upon opens up doors for us that weren't even there before. But I mean, literally when I got sober, it was like a movie. I mean, I had like, I've never talked about this, but I had people that were going to kill me, like mm. legit kill me. Wow. I had prison time over my head. Mm. I had uh, so many different things come together. And then all of a sudden the right people, you know, I went to AA and in AA, everybody's trying to help each other. And, yeah. um, it just made me realize like, oh my gosh, there's, there is something bigger than myself. Like there is for sure. I don't know how to explain it. I can't give it a name. I would like to think it's God, maybe Jesus Christ, but like whatever that is, there is something it's there. there. The and universe doesn't even matter. To yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and it, it is, it becomes impossible to deny. And it's so hard to explain to somebody that hasn't experienced it, but I yeah. feel like we've both, uh, felt that presence and, totally. um, crazy. Yeah. Yep. And that's what they say. And it's, you know, you go into AA or whatever, like that's a, I mean, that's a great place to start if you're newly sober and yeah. you, I mean, really the first, what the first, whatever is the only requirement for mm -hmm. membership is a desire to stop drinking. Yeah. So you could not, not even think you're, you're an alcoholic and you just want to stop drinking. Yeah. You can go to AA and there's people there that. Well, and sometimes people are drunk at AA meetings mm -hmm. and they still want to. I mean, they're there. Nobody's getting fucked up and then just going to AA for fun. Like yeah. you're there to try and get better. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have, I think there's some pros and cons with AA. Um, yeah. It, it's a little culty. And I think that. Culty. It is, you know, and uh, I love it. And don't get me wrong. Like, if you have a problem with drinking, go to AA. Go. Yeah. But AA, to me, I saw as as important as it is when you're newly sober. And for and, and this is just for me. I got roasted on TikTok. I had a video do really well on TikTok. But I got roasted for saying this, that I don't believe that I'm an alcoholic anymore. I think, mm. or I'm not a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. I'm recovered, right? Yeah. Like, at what point do you stop recovering and there were some good arguments in there of people saying you know it's more of a spiritual and like deep down thing and there's a lot of psychological stuff that you're always trying to recover from but when you tell yourself you are a certain thing like i am an alcoholic who's powerless over alcohol i feel like that's setting yourself up for relapse mm -hmm. more than anything you're constantly through repetition telling yourself that you're going to, that you're just one slip away from your life being fucked and uh, I don't know. That's that's my thing. Which, I mean, I do see where, like, if that helps you not drink, like, I I could die the next time. And that's especially for, like, I know a lot of drug users, like, that's real. Well, like, you could live with, with the fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, like, you could use. And that happened to one of my girlfriends, her her boyfriend. We were living the sober life. We had a kid, like, right, whatever. And the first time, gone. Yeah. So, I mean, it is real. And I think if that helps you, like, go for it but mm -hmm. i also think it's like yeah like at some point i do think it could be like you have to realize like i'm i am not that person anymore and i know i've heard you talk about that and that is what i try to tell anybody i've actually had multiple of my friends multiple people talk to me about like 
what's going on with me and like how am I doing it yeah um, even people in my group just giving them like some things that I've heard and some things that are helping me right and that's that's like what you say it's the identity thing like I that was my whole identity at least it was becoming that like I'm a, a fun party girl that is the life of the party and whatever and that was me and I had so much wrapped up into that and now yeah. it's like that I'm, I'm I'm not that person anymore yeah I'm still fun I can still go to parties and be okay like I'm not it's not like I'm there every weekend anymore but I, I've gone a couple times in my 90 days and it's been a really good time yeah so I can still be all of these things I can still whatever but I'm now a sober person and that has helped me a lot when you know whatever comes up because you always i mean you're just first getting sober you're you're fighting yeah you know like there are definitely times when you want to drink and well especially if you use it for a coping mechanism like for me i would get anxiety and i would just go drink a beer or two or go have a shot and i i i put a nice little fuzzy jacket around alcoholism because it was, oh, I'm going to take a client out. Like I had this client in Boston, downtown Boston, who uh, runs a shoe shine shop mm-hmm. and he's like a cobbler, a shoe shiner. And uh, he's an alcoholic. I just thought he liked to drink. But no, I knew that if I stopped by and said, hey, you want to go get a beer? He'd be like, sure, let's go. Mm-hmm. So I'm just out to lunch with a client, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But we're getting fucked up and we're <laughs> drinking. And anytime I would get anxiety, I would just, oh, I'm going to go get lunch at a bar or something real, you know, I could pop in and mm-hmm. out while I'm out working. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's such an easy, slippery slope to fall mm-hmm. into. Because it's the, it's, it's the end all. It works for everything. Yeah. You know, like it, and that's at least that's what I told myself. And I and that's one of the big things that I learned in rehab or my IOP. Uh, God, what was I even saying for? Outpatient in intensive outpatient program, IOP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea. Like, I guess that's kind of what I learned in my first one, but I didn't really realize. So we I went I, we had an hour of education group where we talk about. This was like a specific CBT, which I love CBT. So I was, when I got in there, I was like, oh my God, this Can is you tell everybody so good for me. What CBT is? Yeah. So CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. And a lot of it is about just like reframing mm-hmm. and using tools is whatever, using your tools to reframe the way that you think because of the way that you grew up. So like a big CBT one is like the tree of something where like your roots are your childhood experiences, your trunk is, I don't know, your life and then your trees are whatever and the whatever. The leaves though on this tree are your automatic negative thoughts that Mm. pop up. Okay. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not lovable. I'm not this. And that I think kind of goes into your self-sabotaging thing. Like the stories that we believe about ourselves from how we grew up and what happened to us. Right. If you don't look at that and then look at why, like what are these thoughts I'm having and why do I have them? You're never going to get over those thoughts. You're always going to think that you're unworthy and you're always going to think that you're unlovable and you're going to continue to do shit to sabotage your life Mm. because that's what you think. Like I always, my dad leaving me when I was a kid, I'm unlovable and I'm not worthy of a man staying around in my life. Which is why you've self-sabotaged certain things exactly tried to. exactly and then i'm and then i came into this program and we're doing cbt and we're learning about 
thought records and like a thought record you have this thought and then you challenge it basically and mm. you give all of this evidence to where like what would kevin say to me in this situation what would lauren say to me in this situation they sure as hell aren't jesus do i <laughs> kind of but it's like Wait, so having can, those critics so can you give like a good example of that like a like a scenario that you would mm. do this for somebody listening or watching like a thought record yeah like if somebody's like yeah just give an example maybe let's say gosh i'm trying to think of something one that you've used i know um so the thought would be like whatever whatever leads you to it like i don't know you get fired from your job mm -hmm. so you think i'm unworthy and i'm a loser and i'm never going to get a job again mm -hmm. and then you challenge it with like what would if, and it, if it helps you make it easier, like, what would your friend say to you? Mm, okay. So, like, whatever happens, gosh, I wish I had, um, whatever. But yeah, whatever happens, you, like, have these thoughts. And you're thinking to yourself, like, you're a loser. You're never going to get a job again. You're, um, you, you got fired because you're a terrible person, whatever. It's like, is that what your friend is going to say to you? Yeah, no. right. And then what you do is you have these challenges where you put... Um, Something that I think you do like only three things that are evidence towards it. Like you are a loser. You are never going to get a job again. And then you can put as many challenges to that thought as possible. Nice. And that's inf infinite. You can do as many as you want. And then at the end, you try to create, I think it's called a balanced thought. Okay. To where the balanced thought, it has to be true and it has to be... It has to be believable. Got to you. To you. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not like some bullshit like, yeah. oh, like I'm amazing and, and I'm always going to get another job or like whatever. Yeah. Like if you it, don't truly believe that. Right. Then it, right. So like a self-affirmation, if you're just telling yourself self-affirmations, like I'm all for it, but yeah. you know, it's, it's not as believable to you in, in your mind. So you could say for this specific example, like. I messed up, mm -hmm. I was drunk at work every day, and I played a part in losing my job, but I can get another job, and I can continue to grow in my life. Right, so what it sounds like is you're just, so you're, it almost sounds like you're rebuilding neural pathways. So in That's your, exactly what you're doing. So, so in your brain, guys who are thinking about this, when you were a baby, right, when you're just barely learning how to walk, mm -hmm. if I threw a baseball at you, what would happen? You'd get hit in the face. Yeah. Because you're a baby. Yeah, I'm like, oh, wait, this is but, a trick question. <laughs> but right now, if I tossed a baseball at you, you could probably catch it. Yeah. Right? Without even thinking. It's your your instinct Reflex. to do that. Because mm -hmm. you have these literal physical attachments in your brain, which are called neural pathways or mm -hmm. like little roads and highways that lead from one firing mechanism to another. So what fires together, wires together, which Joe dispenses up. Mm -hmm. But we have these, like one thing that I learned a lot when I got sober was it was basically that, like not as structured as that, but you know, when I would feel anxious, my thought was to go get alcohol, yeah. right. Or marijuana or whatever, when I was younger. And then you have to challenge that, like, and, and start to reframe that neural network. And at first it's really uncomfortable, but over Super. time it becomes your, your normal. Now, yeah. when I get anxious, I have a million other things that mm -hmm. I do. I do breath work. I go for a run. I go train jujitsu. Go for a walk. I yeah. pet my dogs. I'm grateful, whatever, right? It's no problem now. But when I first got sober, my first couple weeks of sobriety, 
I would I remember I was at a Red Sox game with a bunch of guys who were sober, right? A bunch mm-hmm. of these new people that I met. We were at a Red Sox game. We uh, it was it was a really cool experience because we had this cop that we knew through AA who let us in a back door and brought nice, us up. Like it was nice. typical Boston, like <laughs> you know. Uh, we're sober, but we could still do bad shit. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, but it was it was cool. It was kind of, but it was it was a, you know, and uh, but but I remember I got anxious and I ended up leaving the game early and going for a walk. And I'm walking by all these bars that I used to just pop into, leaving Fenway and like, you mm. know. Um, People, places, and things. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and luckily, I over time built that that muscle um, of finding different solutions, and it's so much better when you when you yeah. take the harder route. It's yeah. so much better. Yeah, well, and that's so. what that's what really that's exactly that's exactly it. You have to teach yourself, and it's so hard. It's so hard, and the deeper they go, the harder it's going to be to change those. Yeah. So, like, I mean, this this shit starts from childhood. Like, yeah. some of that really deep, like, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, I can't do that. That started from childhood. And you just build these stories in your head that, like, I, whatever. Yeah. And they're so hard to challenge. But that's, and that's why you start, like, we started with writing it out first and, like, doing all these things. Because that's what you have to start with. And then eventually, mm-hmm. I'm graduating my program, you know, 10 weeks later, a couple weeks ago. And you don't even have to think about it anymore. Like you said, like you just, you just do whatever it is and you, you have all of these tools in your tool belt and that's not, I was a one trick pony, anything (laughs) I could drink. And I knew that it was going to make me feel better in that moment. Yeah. But that ain't a long term. That is a very short term and a long term solution. That's not it. Well, you're putting in the work now and, and it's like, you have an amazing husband an amazing daughter an amazing life. Like when you think about it, you have every reason to be grateful. Dude. And, and I'm, I just want to say, I'm so proud of you. And like the, you know, and you, you know, like your husband and I are friends. I love mm-hmm. Joe and I just want to see the best for all of you guys. Dude. And, uh, it's just crazy to think that you could be dead right now. Like we could be having a, we could be, there could be a completely different energy in the office, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, knowing that that's the situation with a lot of people out there that on the outside your life looks great people Mm -hmm. have no idea unless they really know you so if you're out there and you're one of those people who's showing a perfect life and uh everything is indeed not perfect Mm. you know do the hard thing i think rachel is off to a really good start and will continue to make that decision in 90 days is uh, you know, one day you're going to look back with 10 years of sobriety and you're going to be just as proud, you know, yeah. but, um, do the hard thing. Like I can't express enough. Like when you have two options, usually the one that's a little more difficult, you know, is, is the best one to do. And, Unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Hey, but anything, Sucks, but it's the truth. <laughs> I mean, but look, like, look at it from like our client's perspective. Uh-huh. If you're going to put in the work and you want to get the benefit of it, you have to do the hard work mm-hmm. or what you teach me. Ugh. God, what I teach you, off. what this pisses me off. I'm what? like, Kevin, um, how do I do this? Oh, do and it you yourself. Fucking Figure it know out. how to do it. I'm yeah. like, you can literally show me in like five seconds. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. Just go to YouTube it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, my God. Is, okay, guys. So, <laughs> so Rachel. No, no. But let me, that, I. Explain, explain like a scenario. Like it, Rachel will be struggling with uh, a software question mm-hmm. and I have the answer. Running a Facebook ad or whatever. Yeah. A, a little tiny, like what button do I press? And I could tell her and mm-hmm. it would be easy, right? Any of my employees or contractors or whoever will come to me with a question that I know they can go get the answer to. If I tell you that answer right now, okay, cool. It just saved you time and it wasn't really hard for me. But mm-hmm. 
if you go find that answer, it might take you more time now, but how many times do I have to answer simple ask questions before I give you the tools yeah. for you to be able to go out there and then and then it just makes everybody better, yeah. right? Like Yeah, it's so much more empowering. Th there's this guy, Jason, who I've been friends with on Facebook, and I remember I, years ago wanted to learn how to code. Mm -hmm. And I messaged him and I was like, hey bro, can you tell me like where you learned how to code? And I just wanted a simple like, hey, where did you, where did you start? And he said, Google it. And I was like, Fuck this guy. And he was yeah, kind like, of a dick for that. It was, he was trying to be a dick. He yeah. wasn't trying to be helpful, but, um, but he was right. He was absolutely right. And guess what? I Googled it and I learned about it and I figured it out. Mm -hmm. Now I asked him because I wanted a little more specific of an answer, but as shitty as it was, he pushed me to go start really? a habit of learning on my own. And, yeah. uh, so anyways, yeah. dive in, tell, tell me no. more about it. I mean, but that's it. And now like, it's such a cool school skill to have like anybody. And that was not me. That was not me. I was like, teach me how to do it and I can do it really, really well, but yeah. I have to be taught how to do it first. And that is not me anymore. Like yeah. I, it's fucking awesome. Like I can go, whatever we're doing, if I can't figure it out in like a couple minutes, yeah. I go to Google, I go to chat GBT, I go do yeah. whatever and YouTube. I can figure it out. Well, how do you think I built this whole business? Nobody yeah. taught me. I mean, I found the answers. Like mm -hmm. I had to, you know, when you start and you're wanting to be an entrepreneur or get a better job or whatever, like it is such a, a big task. And most mm -hmm. people never even dive in because they think that, well, I'm missing all these answers, but the answers are out there. You just have to go find it. Like yeah. you have to, you know, okay. So I, I, my first thing was, okay, how do I make money online? So I start on YouTube, how to make money online. Mm. Guess what? I got scammed by a bunch of courses and a bunch of bullshit stuff selling overnight success. But I learned from that mm -hmm. and then I moved on to something that worked. And mm -hmm. then I just, you, over time you just get better. But if you can't go out there and find the answer on your own to whatever it is, you're yeah. in for a rough life because you're just making yourself a, a victim. Yeah. And it's going to be always, you have to have somebody else to answer your problems. It's like, mm, you, can, you can figure it out. Yeah. And that's like business wise, like life wise, like whatever. And that's a huge skill I've learned. And I honestly, I teach that to our clients now too. Yeah. And I yeah. have the same attitude as you do because I'm like, I, I don't have time. It seems dismissive at first, but when you realize like totally. you could literally, if I just give you this tool to go out and find the answer, the answer is the answer out there, then find it. You know, mm -hmm. if you can't, and what do I always say? Go look it up. If you really can't figure it out, then I will help you. Like I'm mm -hmm. not trying to be. Yeah. That's what I say to you now too. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and guess what? People will hate you for it in the beginning. And then they're like, oh, well, now when I have all these other questions, I can go out and find the answer. And it's such yeah. a simple concept. But, yeah. you know, I have my first child on the way. And one thing that I really hope to instill in her is that kind of mentality of like, hey, just go figure it out. Like yeah. you, you have to be more in control of your of your outcomes mm -hmm. uh, than you know. just letting the world like predict whatever. Like, yeah. Go do it. So, yeah, so you mentioned that you had manifested having a kid at 23. Tell me about that. I want to talk about manifestation and some of the the sparkly universe stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I originally in high school, that was my goal. I was I even said it out loud. I told my mom like and she was like, oh, my God, like 23. That's really young, whatever. And I always said, I'm going to have a kid by 23. I want to mm -hmm. be a young mom. I want to buy a house. Like I literally always had I had always said that they had always been my goals from when I as long as I can remember. Yeah. And then I got to 22, 23, and I was like, oh, I think I was 22 when I first when I was first pregnant. Yeah, in January, my birthday's in August, and I was like, ah, 
no, we're going to wait. Like, we have a little bit more time, whatever. And sure enough, I found out that I was pregnant and I had a kid by 23. Wow. I turned 23 August 15th and I had Raya September 25th. Did you visualize that when you were growing up? Totally. Like, you, you obsessed totally. over it, right? Yes, running yeah. around. Because, dude, like, I, I can pick her up. I can run around with her. I'm so energetic, like... All of the things, like our bodies are, I'm sorry, but it's so culture to like, don't have kids until you're 23, like build your career, blah, 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 blah. Fuck that. Yeah. And that's why so many women like have trouble having kids and all of these things happen because our bodies are meant to have children when we're 23 to like whatever. Yeah. I think somewhere around there, young 20s to like whatever, in your 20s. And I, I mean, it's, it's the best. It's the best. And I mean, I think that it did. You can say like it like forces you to grow up, but like I'm fucking 23 years old, like yeah, and I'm 26 years old now, like, and I'm so grateful that I'm a grown ass woman. I'm grown, yeah, and I'm so proud of that. Yeah, I'm super proud of that. Like I, whatever. Like I even went to my group, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're only 26." Yeah, like people were thinking I was like 30s at first. I was like, "Um, do I look 35? Like what?" But they're like, "No, we just thought you, you looked really good." Like but it. yeah, yeah, they're like, "You just ha- like you have all the things, and you." Well, it's about how you carry yourself too, which people receptive. You know, people yeah. are very receptive to that. that. Was, yeah, and, and um, yeah, the the manifesting stuff is funny to me because the things that you like. It's so funny because when I was a kid, I would always, always sit and, you know, we lived in Alaska and Boston Mm -hmm. and cold places. I would always sit and visualize myself and like I would sit and drool over the travel channel like these, which really Mm -hmm. were like infomercial ads for for Hawaii vacations Mm -hmm. and stuff and Southern California vacations and whatever. And I remember watching these like beach compilation videos and like watching people hang out on the beach and i had never lived anywhere nice like that we yeah. rarely went places not- when we traveled we we usually were going back to boston or something where so it's cold. just <laughs> yeah, yeah, cold again. Winter yeah. or summer when it's hot and miserable and uh i really believe that the life that i have today i manifested and i think i also manifested some of the negative things in my life because mm-hmm. i i believe that we create our reality I believe that what we think about, what we believe and what we feel to be true Mm -hmm. ends up happening. Like it's, you know, um, there's this guy named Neville Goddard who his whole, he's like a law of attraction guy from, you know, back in like the the forties and fifties and Mm -hmm. very old timey. But his whole thing is if you can feel the feeling of the wish fulfilled, meaning if you want to feel like you live in Southern California and have a nice big business. You have to feel that and trick yourself into believing that it's already true now. Mm -hmm. And it's weird when you can get into that zone, how things open up like that. And when you look at like the Bible and things talking about prayer, they talk about that same concept. And you have to believe it. Like you have to believe that's faith. Yeah. That faith and praying about it and doing whatever. But I think that's a good point. But then like the opposite of that too, is also being okay with, god's will or whatever happens whatever the actual outcome is like you have to know that that's god's will for you yeah not getting that house not getting that job for me yeah something better is around the corner yeah like that sucks i was praying to get that job and i was praying to get it because i we were running out like i had to get a job yeah so yeah believing it absolutely believing it to the end and then if it doesn't work out being like oh okay like there's something better out there for me yeah and and what about vision boards? I know that we both have vision mm-hmm. boards and you marked off your bathroom or kitchen? What ba- was it? Bathroom. Yep. Bathroom. Okay. Would that have happened if you didn't have it on the vision board, do you think? Or as fast? 
I don't know. I think, though, also that my whole last year's vision board, and I've told you about this, like I looked at my vision board and I looked at all my 2023 goals. Uh-huh. That was huge for me. Like I literally had drink less on my 2023 goals all the way back in January. Mm-hmm. And I just completely fucked off all of all of them yeah. because I was drinking. Yeah. And that's all I did. I came to work. I did my shit and I went home and drank. Self-sabotage. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and I didn't do. I and mean, it's funny did, you whatever, said drink but. less, not drink none. Yeah, stop drinking. I just yeah. said drink less, yeah. and that was the problem. And this yeah. year, it's stay sober. Right. Huge. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. Drink less doesn't happen for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I finally learned that. Like I kind of knew, but I accepted it as a hundred percent true. Right. That was actually I I had that. That was something huge from. My group, my IOP, we talked about radical acceptance one day. Mm, okay. Have you ever heard about it? I mean, does it have to do with like the serenity prayer kind of stuff? Yes. Yes. Um, Which the serenity prayer is basically saying to yourself, like, there's things that I can control and there's things that I can't control. So, for instance, my sister committed suicide. I can't control it. I have to accept it for what it is mm-hmm. and move forward. That's it. Right. Yeah. Would you say that's it? Yeah. So, yeah. sorry. Radical acceptance. But yeah, it it's basically just yeah, accepting things, it is what it is. That's mm-hmm. another I mean, that's a saying in general, but that's a that's like an AANA saying, like it is what it is. Yeah. You have to just accept whatever it is because if you keep fighting it, like I could not accept that I couldn't drink and I was an alcoholic. And when I finally accepted that, and what was crazy when we were talking about it, you're thinking that radical acceptance is like so powerless. Like I'm admitting that I'm powerless over addiction, but how powerful is that yeah like yeah like i'm accepting that i am an alcoholic and i'm taking my life back yeah like it was huge and at first we were all saying like oh this this is like that kind of sucks though like that's so like you feel so powerless and like whatever you're just accepting like anything that happens to you but like yeah like i'm gonna take a look at what i can fix and what i can work towards or do something about and things that i can't do anything about i'm gonna just accept it and and live with it and and take power over it and not let it control me anymore yeah like what crazy concept yes yes and that's for anything yeah like you said like your sister or i don't know even like overeating or whatever it is like if it's a problem you think if you can do anything about it and if you can move forward do the thing yeah and don't wait too is Mm -hmm. a big thing too because a lot of people know that there's a problem but then they don't actually take the steps to solve the problem and it slowly mm-hmm. one bite at a time eats them away yeah it's crazy yeah well rachel do you have one last positive message for our audience hmm. i think for me the biggest thing that i'm stoked about for both of us is that we are able to take back our lives in our 20s mm-hmm well, I'm 31, but I guess but I started took at it 23. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 26 years old. I'm getting sober, hopefully, for for the rest of my life, which sounds scary, but whatever. Not hopefully, you will. Yeah, I, and, and I'm confident there, but it's, you know, whatever. Um, that's, that's the plan. That's the goal. And that's what I want to tell everybody out there because I know that we're there, and I don't want to wait yeah. until I'm 45 or kill myself at 50. Yeah when I have a heart attack outside of smart and final mm-hmm. and keel over and just die yeah. like my dad did. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to be that I can change the story now. And then my daughter doesn't have to see this. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you owe it to yourself and you deserve it too. That's mm-hmm. one thing is like, we 
find reasons to self-sabotage and sorry to um no totally but but you really do owe it to yourself and Mm -hmm. you deserve it and you need to let good things come into your life because again like you know and it's back to the things that happened in childhood and these neural pathways Mm -hmm. and when things get too good sometimes we you know think we don't deserve it and we throw it all away but really just fucking keep at it yeah yeah and that's everybody deserves everybody deserves to be happy and have a sick-ass life it's it ain't just gonna fall on your lap though yeah so believe it and do the fucking work make it happen sweet thank you for coming on rachel